I'm Brett Chang. I am Jay Rosenthal, and this is your Peak Daily for Wednesday, November 8th, where we cover the biggest stories in Canadian and global business, finance, and tech, all in less than seven minutes. Okay, so Jay, I've got some news. Kahlua and Absolute Vodka have teamed up to release a new fragrance that smells just like that iconic cocktail, the Espresso Martini. Now, for the steep price of $144, you too can have the privilege of smelling like a university student with a serious coffee drinking and maybe just drinking problem. Jay, unfortunately, in this case, is this something, is this a scent you might be interested in? I'm interested in the ingredients for sure. I don't want to smell like that. Don't you go your whole life trying not to smell like those two things? I think that's right. You know, I don't know my whole life. I understand the appeal of the smell of coffee, so I get that. The espresso martini does have a very unique smell. It's just, I don't know who's, you know, this is likely, I'm going to write this one off as a marketing gimmick, Jay. This can't be a real thing. Well, we're talking about it. I know, I know, and I hate us for talking about it, Jay, but that's what the Peak Daily is here for. You know, we try to open up the podcast a little light, and this kind of serves that purpose. Well, those are two ingredients in one of my favorite drinks, or could be. Well, what's your favorite drink? The White Russian. I like an espresso martini. Espresso martini is one of my top five drinks because it's great if you're going out because you get the caffeine and you get a little buzz from the from the vodka. Now I know what to get you. Yeah, you can get me espresso martinis. Sure. Next time you see Brett, he's going to like Kahlua and Absolute. Brett, aside yeah. from that, what do we have for Peak Pals today? For our first story, we bankrupt. For our second story, the CRTC takes on Canada's telecom giant. And for our third story, global wine output is drying up. It's being replaced by espresso martinis. <laughs> Barely. For our first story, raise your on-tap kombuchas for a toast to WeWork, which burned far too bright and way too fast. What happened to this storied quote unquote, tech brand, Brett. Yeah, Jay, well, you know, this is close to my heart. We used to be members at WeWork and go often. And so here's what's happening. WeWork, the co-working company that once pledged to, quote unquote, elevate the world's consciousness, filed for bankruptcy in a U.S. district court with plans to have the bankruptcy recognized in Canada. Now, for now, its operations will continue to operate mostly unchanged. Which is empty. Just kidding. As part of the proceedings, WeWork struck deals with most of its creditors to convert $3 billion U.S. in loans and bonds into stakes in a reorganized version of the same company. That's the, that's the crazy thing about this, Jay, is they're actually not empty. If you go to a WeWork in downtown Toronto, they're packed. And so it's like a strange dissonance. But it's also working to restructure over $13 billion in lease obligations and plans to exit 69 leases at largely non-operational locations, including five in BC and Ontario. Now, to catch you up, it's been a long, precipitous downfall for a company that had a $47 billion valuation by 2019 by pioneering the idea of fancy office spaces you could just pop in and out of. Now, its reputation took a devastating hit after a failed IPO attempt that cast serious doubts on its financial soundness and ended with the firing of CEO Adam Newland. Japanese mega-investor SoftBank stepped in to take majority control and took WeWork public through a SPAC in 2021, although shares have since fallen by almost 100%, but not exactly 99.8%. The company bets that occupancy rates would exceed pre-pandemic levels. When that didn't happen, it was stuck with long leases costing over 80% of its revenues. Yikes. Which brings us to the bottom line, Brett. The bankruptcy goes to show how much has changed in just a few short years. WeWork was designed to be grow-at-all-cost enterprise that would happily burn cash in the name of market dominance. A one-two punch of rate hikes and a softened office market killed the viability of that business model, and WeWork paid the price. For our second story, not all heroes wear capes. That's indeed true for this story. Canada's telecom regulator is trying to make your phone bill a little less daunting 
How are they going to do that, Jay? They're going to put capes on, Brett. Yeah. No, they're not going to put capes on. The CRTC is forcing Canada's biggest telecom companies to give smaller independent competitors in Ontario and Quebec access to their fiber networks. It's the first move in the regulators' push to increase competition in the highly concentrated sector. Now, in response to the ruling, BCE, Bell, said it would cut $1 billion in capital spending and slow down the expansion of its fiber network, which has cost it $18 billion since 2020. And it's happening because the big three telecom companies, Bell, Rogers, and TELUS, have been running the table by buying up companies and stifling competition, a reality that the CRTC is now combating within the provinces that make up more than 60% of Canada's population. The CRTC review found independent internet providers in Ontario and Quebec currently serve about 47% fewer customers than they did just two years ago. And it matters because Canada has some of the most expensive phone and internet plans in the world. More competition could push big players to offer better prices, though experts say they'll continue to own the market until interim rates are finalized and expanded nationwide. Now, next, the CRTC says its review of competition in the internet sector is ongoing, and more changes aimed at bringing down the cost of internet could soon be on the way. For our third and final story today, to any wine moms or vino snobs who may be reading or listening in that case, make sure you're sitting down with a chilled Pinot Grigio before looking at this next story. I'm going to call Pete co-founder Taylor Scullin out for that one, wine snob. <laughs> Think a wine snob, vino snob, or wine mom. You might find it too upsetting. This next story is hard. Yeah, so here's what's happening. Global wine production is set to fall to its lowest level in over 60 years, according to a new estimate by the International Organization of Vine and Wine. The OIV. It's something that we're, we used to be members of, I guess. Wine hubs in the Southern Hemisphere saw outputs drop by as much as 30%, while most European producers saw production fall too. Of them, Spain, Greece, and Italy, which lost its title of world's top producer, were the hardest hit. And it happens because extreme climate events are behind the drastic drop in grapey glugs, be it cold snaps in BC, flooding in Tuscany, or a drought in Catalonia. Vineyards around the world have been rocked by unpredictable and catastrophic weather this year. And it matters because your local liquor store won't be running low on wine anytime soon. In fact, countries like France and Australia are dealing with the surplus issues, but this historic dip in production does not bode well for future outputs of not just wine, but all kinds of crops. Wine grapes are sensitive to minute environmental changes, making them, as one climate researcher put it, the canary in the coal mine for climate change impact. And to zoom out. Zoom. Just like other food and drink producers, winemakers are looking at experimental methods to climate-proof their crops, from new types of grapes to marine microbes. Peak Palace, thanks for making us the most listened to business news podcast in Canada. If you got a second, why not follow this podcast on your app of choice and leave us a review. And if you want more Peak, make sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter at readthepeak.com. Have a great Wednesday, Peak Palace. When you give me shock, when you give me shock,